Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have our great guest all the way from Austin, Texas. Welcome, my good friend, Dr. Tom Burns. Good morning, Victor. How are you? Great to have you here, Tom. Always great to be talking to you. It's been a while and it's we get to see each other three, four times a year face to face and just not often enough. What I thought would be really helpful for our listeners is to talk a little bit about what's happening in the current macroeconomic environment from the perspective of a developer. But before we dive into those details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll make it short. So I started as a doctor while I was training, decided I needed something else. So I kind of ran investing in doctor parallel paths and the path that I took was real estate. So I bought and bought and built real estate over the past 30 years. And, and eventually that gave me enough passive income to not need the doctor income. I've had a couple of good partners and uh, my current company is a private equity real estate company that with a friend that I met 20 years ago. And so that's what that's what we do now. We we build and occasionally acquire multifamilies or build to rent or things such as that and you know try to help investors grow their money. So that's where we are now. That's how kind of how I met Victor a long time ago at at a at a, a gathering place where people that are in the real estate investing world gather together. Yeah, exactly. So you've been and just to give people a sense for scale, you're generally building anywhere between four to eight hundred units a year of new construction. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. So you're doing this at a very high level, and I know you just retired from the medical practice within the last 12, 18 months, yep. and you were running those in parallel for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, but it's it was probably, God, probably 14 years ago, there was a point where I didn't actually need the doctor money, but uh, things were leveraged out nicely, running smoothly, and I really enjoyed being a doctor. So I did that just in the mornings, two, three, four times a week, and uh Mostly ran the real estate world, but kept my hand in the doctor business. But I got a little too busy, and something had to go, so the doctor business had to had to fall away. You're still involved from a sports medicine perspective with the Olympic ski team, correct? Yeah, I've been doing that for 30 years. I've been taking taking care of the U.S. Olympic ski team, and you know, I was getting ready to retire. I called them and said, "Do you mind that I'm retired?" And they said, "No." So I just have to keep up my license, and so uh, uh, that allows me to keep doing it. It's fun. It's taking care of kids in the old days that are now coaches and announcers and meeting new kids and helping them do what they do. And it's a lot of fun being around world-class athletes. So I just did that last week. Yeah, that's right. You were in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the world of development. Uh, you're a developer. You've been doing this for quite a number of years, everything from multifamily apartments, new construction, built-to-rent communities, and interest rates have been the obviously the big story over the past year, it's put a lot of projects that looked great on paper a year ago, put them upside down. How has that affected your business? What decisions have you made based on the current conditions? Yeah, you know, it's, see, we feel somewhat lucky. You know, it was not quite a year ago, but close somewhere in mid Q, Q1 last year, kind of before the interest rates started going up. It, you know, it didn't, it didn't take a rocket scientist to, to realize that rates were going to go up and we looked at our investment pipeline and it was robust you know it was post covid you know kind of over explosion from the the quiet that was the year or so of covid so we had a really big pipeline 
And uh, we actively decided to look at that pipeline and cut out anything that wasn't just A++. And that turned out to be one of our better decisions to really kind of kind of bring things down to just the absolute cream of the crop. And so that helped us, but, you know, it, it filled up again. So, uh, you know, as it sits now, you have to be, we have to be really careful. We have, you know, we, we do things a number of ways. One is that we, we purchase and, and land bank and we hold the land and then we'll, you know, we'll entitle it or buy it entitled and go build the project. So, you know, we've got three parcels of land in three different stages right now. One was too far along and actually kind of had its debt already set, which was nice. So that one's off and running. The other one, it's not being entitled, but it's in, in, in process. It's kind of in that pre-construction process. And it's a real cat and mouse game. We we keep watching the numbers and having to keep re-underwriting. We're still trying to decide if we're going to go through. And that's going to be a, a sizable project. It's over 400 units and it's a wrap product in a, in a kind of an infill location. So big project. I don't know if we're going to do it or not. We, we think we are. And then another one, we just we decided that the economics, the way they are, we just uh, decided to kind of sit on that land. So we've had to put some projects away. We've had a lot that we had gone far down the road and and had to table just because they didn't make sense. Well, heck, we even had one that we funded. Here's how life goes. <clears throat> and this happened to me back in 2008, a similar version, but we funded the project and then the bank decided we changed our mind. We don't think we're going to lend on multifamily anymore. Right. So we had to go get new debt. We got the new debt. It wasn't the same terms and it wasn't good enough for our investors. So we had to pull that money back. So, and now that same bank came back again and said, well, now we want to do it. So that's, you know, it's not just, it's not just whether you have the land or the investors or the numbers work right. You know, you got to be careful. The banks, they change their minds sometimes. And that's what happened in 2008. We had our debt on a project and the bank just said goodbye. They left. So got to be really careful. You got to make sure you've got some options or some kind of backstop. Well, what you're saying mirrors a lot of the conversations I've had with other developer friends as well. They too are putting a lot of projects on hold, not because they, the cost of construction debt has gone up all that much, because it really hasn't. They might have gone up from eight and a half percent to nine or nine and a quarter. It's not a huge difference. The big question is what's going to be required for permanent financing. And are you going to be debt coverage limited? And are you going to have to write a massive check just to get into permanent financing? That's, that's the big question. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point that not a lot of people think of. You know, you need to have some sort of contingency or at least inform your investors or have a way to to cover that when the time comes because there's you know, none of us have a crystal ball. Yeah, it's 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 the debt issue. It's just a it's a bouncing ball right now and it's it keeps bouncing upwards. But you're right, the construction's actually, you know, some some things have kind of calmed down a little bit. Gypsum and lumber and some things like that have, have really come down, but it's a it's a bit of a guessing game. So you need to have a contingency, I guess is the best word. Yeah, certainly from a supply chain perspective and pricing, we're seeing a lot of things open up. The only constraint, frankly, that we're seeing right now are windows and doors. Uh, everything else yeah. the everything else seems to be pretty straightforward. Lead times are reasonable. Pricing is predictable. Uh, but windows and doors right now are still very long lead items. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually building a personal second home and we had to give like an eight month lead time for windows. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even if you go back to the period post 2008, 
Construction didn't stop altogether. It fell, gosh, 75% from what it was at the peak, but it didn't go to zero. And so the question is, what kind of construction makes sense in today's environment? Do you go more hyper-local? How have you changed your underwriting criteria? Apart from just you know, the debt side of the equation, have, are you looking at new opportunities? And if you do choose to look at new opportunities, where are you setting the bar? Well, you know, the, the, you know, the return bar is a little lower, you know, and you got to educate your investors on that. A good project, still a good project. As you said, good times and bad things get built. It happens. It just, you know, people still need a place to place to live and all that. We try to stay close to the real, you know, for, for lack of a better word, to the hot areas. You know, we're in Texas. In, in my in my world, we're in Texas. And a lot of people are in, in the Sun Belt, Texas, Arizona, Carolinas, Florida. And Texas is a hotbed. Uh, now, certainly in there's uh, real estate so regional, you got you to be wary. But, you know, we do feasibility studies on everything and make sure there's at least data shows that there's a lot of there, there's a lot of need for units. Try to keep our pencils sharp. Try to make sure our investors make a you know positive return, uh, which thus far still happens. And one of the things that kind of bugs me a little bit is every once in a while I'll hear my analysts say, "Well, the construction, you know, the price went up." For you know, we kind of like to talk about cost per door. You know, price, you know, price was it was two forty five a door to build. Now it's two fifty five. You know, but rents have gone up. Right. Well, there's going to come a time when when that second phrase is not going to be true, you know? So I, I tend to worry, you know, we've, we've had these rents escalating and all the data kind of points to where rents should continue to escalate because of the difficulty of people buying their own homes and, and the, the, the fact that we're so underbuilt, but, you know, I've also been around long enough to know that those things go flat and come down in real world. So uh, one has to be careful not to use that metric all the time. So we try to look at something, see if it makes sense, got a bit of a backstop, you know, a bit of a contingency, and we'll make it on today's rents. Because if it makes it on today's rents and it takes us 12 months to build and 10 months, to 10, 12 months to stabilize, then, you know, that's two years down the road. If we're, if rents are flat, then we're still okay, hopefully. So that's just the kind of exercise we go through. We can't predict the future, but we keep trying to do it the right way. Absolutely. As you've been looking at the marketplace, have you extended your criteria to other asset classes or subclasses? Yeah. One thing about our company, we talked about this years ago is we want, you know, you want to stay nimble plans and goals in concrete and plans in sand. Right. So, you know, multifamily has been good for a long time. I think it will be good for a long time, but you can't ride one horse forever. So we've looked at some other things sort of within that, within that same lane, different lane, same highway. So certainly we went to the built to rent product that's been a, a great commodity uh, recently, and it's doing doing reasonably well. And one that's real exciting for us is we're now going into the extended stay business, and not just one. We're doing like portfolio of six six of them at a time. So, and it's an interesting it's an it's an interesting asset class because you know one looks at extended stays as, as a hotel, or at least I did until I started doing the research. I don't know if your listeners might know, but did you know that seventy percent of Customers that stay at an extended stay stay for 30 days or longer. Wow. So often they'll stay 90 days, 180 days, up to a year. And they're paying higher than multifamily rent, somewhat lower than hotel rent. So that's been a, a great new asset class for us. It doesn't take but 12 months to build and two months to stabilize. 
Well, now the short-term rental market, a large percentage of that also is in that medium-term category. Yeah. I believe, uh, and I don't, don't quote me exactly on the statistic, but I'm going to say it's t- north of 20% in the short-term rental business is actually medium-term stays. So that's also a competitor, so to speak, a competitor with a low barrier to entry. True, true. Well, it's location-based sometimes. You know, the, the people that use uh, something like an extended stay, often uh, hospital workers, nurses on contracts, on locums contracts, doctors. Uh, and so hospitals say it's great guaranteed income because hospitals typically take care of that. Corporate relocations, people that are just re- relocating themselves just from one city to another, construction, things like that. So uh, it's an interesting uh, customer demographic, so to speak, but it's done very well. I don't know who it was. It was somebody famous, uh, you know, I don't know, it was Warren Buffett or somebody. They call them like ATM, an ATM with a roof. Mm. So uh, certainly marketing marketing speak, but uh, it's been an interesting asset class for us. So that's the kind of thing we're doing. We've looked at we've looked at industrial, and you know that's not our expertise. So uh, that's something we'll partner with, and so we've got a good strong partner in the industrial world. So we try to stick to our core competency, which is you know certainly what we do best. But we want to make sure there's opportunity out there for for the investors and for us to take advantage of asymmetries in the market. Well, a lot of wisdom in all those words. Well, let's talk first. Uh, you wrote a book. Yeah, I did. Thank you. Wrote a book called Why Doctors Don't Get Rich. And I expect the punchline is because they're super smart and they're great at doing technical things related to medicine, but they're terrible business people. Well, well no, I know a lot of doctors that are great business people. It's okay. really the title's more more like a metaphor for the fact that no matter how much you make per per service or per hour, if you get hit by a bus or get sick and can't do that anymore, the music stops. And so the, the premise of the book is develop income that comes in whether you sleep, work, vacation, play with your kids, or go fishing. So it's all earned income versus mailbox money. Exactly. So create some mailbox money. That gives you the freedom to choose what you want to do with your time. And you can either go out and make your business bigger, sit and relax, or uh, learn something new. So that's the premise of the book. Fabulous. Well, Tom, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? You bet. The uh, website is uh, rich.life, and you can email me at tom at richdoctor.com. Fabulous. Well, Tom, always great to connect. And for the listeners at home, connect with Dr. Tom Burns at rich.life or email him directly at tom at richdoctor.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.